different take on the Bible, don't we? And uh, I think that our, our actors today represented some different perspectives that, that we sometimes encounter when we come into the church. But the beautiful thing is over the course of, of the next 31 weeks, starting January 20th, we will delve in to that Bible together. We will learn the story of God together. We'll become a people who can find the life-giving words of God together. And God's going to do some amazing things in our midst and, and bring some real clarity from what can sometimes be confusion. So I'm really excited for what God's going to do in and through us in the next year. Before I dismiss the kids this morning, I want you young, youngsters, you young disciples, to let, let you know that on the day to pray, this coming Saturday, our children's hour is going to be 11 a.m. So Pastor Spring's going to be ready for the children at 11 a.m., not only will our uh, elementary age children have an hour for themselves, we'll also have child care during that hour for the little biddies. So uh, parents of young children, 11 a.m. is a great time for you to come. We would just ask today if you want to sign up in the lobby so we can prepare enough materials for you for the day to pray, let us know you're coming. And even if you don't let us know you're coming today, we would just invite you to come on the hour, all right? So if you come next week between 8 and 3, just come about five minutes before the hour. That way folks can meet you in the lobby and give you some instructions. We hope everybody will take advantage. And kids, make sure your parents come. It's a great way to start the year as a family. So young disciples, you may be dismissed down the hall. We're excited for you all. Yes, I'm very excited for you. One of my young disciples this morning spilt an entire glass of water on my pants during worship, and so uh, I didn't have an accident today. Uh, if I did, I'd not tell you, but the spot's on the floor if you want to inspect later. Uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, open them with me to Isaiah chapter 55, if you will, Isaiah chapter 55. We're going to be talking the next few weeks, next three weeks, about knowing the story. And I, I thank our actors this morning for setting us up with something that was a little bit fun. One of my favorite things to hear as a pastor is, Pastor Matt, doesn't it say in the Bible somewhere, dot, dot, dot? I, I get that all the time. Pastor Matt, doesn't it say in there, and then somebody gives me something that may remotely sound like a scripture verse, might, might be something close to something that I've heard before, but a lot of times, nah, not so close. Uh, I loved when the one actor here this morning said, God helps those who help themselves, because that's not in there, right? Uh, I hear things all the time that are sort of biblical, not biblical, and things that I have no idea if it's in the Bible, and sometimes I just say, ah, it could be, could be, why don't you research it and find out, right? I found myself in a conversation the other week, and it was, it was just in one day where I ended up talking with somebody uh, about the, four, the, the, the questions I'm about to tell you right here. This, is, this was one day in the life of Pastor Matt. I was asked the question, who was Cain's wife? I was asked about the actual route of the Exodus. I was asked about the Bible and polygamy, the divided kingdom, Joseph in Egypt. I got into the Calvinist-Arminian debate, the role of the enemy in human life, the nature of the Trinity. The authorship of some of the New Testament books, the spirit of the Lord departing the temple, the spirit of the Lord returning to the temple, and the location of the Ark of the Covenant. That was one day in the life of Pastor Matt. Now, I want to tell you, it, it can be, uh, that, that's, just, that's just some of the topics. <laughs> I mean, that's just a smattering of the things that, that could, you could come across when you read the Bible. This, this is a huge book. The Bible was written over the course of 1,500 years. 66 books, at least 35 authors. It was authored, it was written from, from Rome 
to Babylon, but it had events that took place in Assyria, Arabia, Babylon, Persia, Egypt, Greece, Midian, Sinai, Turkey, Tyre, and Sidon, Greece, Philistia, Rome, Moab, Edom, and Ammon, just to name a few, just a few of biblical locations. It had heroes who were farmers, who were shepherds, who were wanderers, who were housewives, who were queens, who were teenage girls, who were prophets, who were prophetesses, fishermen, priests, kings, and carpenters. Now, people assume that after seven years of Bible school and seminary and 12 years as a pastor that I'm a Bible scholar. Well, I want to tell you this morning, by many standards, I would be considered a Bible scholar. I better be if I'm your pastor. But the truth is, I could spend the rest of my life studying all the things in and surrounding this word and never grow tired and never have a full grasp on it all. Now, with all that said, you might be thinking, well, what hope is there for me, <laughs> right? If you spent seven years in Bible school and seminary and, and you, you have pastored for 12 years and preached out of this thing and taught out of this thing, what hope is there for me if you could spend your whole lifetime trying to grasp it? But there is a hope for all of us. There is an important plan for all of us as it comes to the Word of God, and it's this. The Bible is and can be accessible to all in two ways. You might never know all the kings. You may never be able to keep every single land and city and province straight. But you can know, each and every one of us can know, the unity in God's plan. The story of the scripture, the plan from Genesis to Revelation, you can know that. You can put that together in your mind and say, I understand why we were created, why God put us here, why he gave us free will, why the Adam and Eve were cast from the garden, why he sent the flood, why Abraham was called, why, why, why. You can know what God did and what he is doing. You can know the unity of God's plan. And throughout the unity of God's plan, you can also see how he delights in using fallible, fallen, sometimes obtuse humans to accomplish his will. That's the upper story, God's plan, and the lower story, what's going on with us. You can grasp what God has done, is doing, and will do, and you can also see how God interacts with human beings and uses them to accomplish his will. That's what the story calls the upper story and the lower story. What is God doing, and what does that have to do with human beings? Our goal over the course of the next 34 weeks is to make sure that God's unified, sensible, wonderful plan is accessible to every single one of us. From the smallest child to the oldest adult, that we can get into this word of God together and know the story. But here's the question, why? Why should you embark on a journey like this with us? Why should you take eight months out of your next year to study the word of God? Maybe for some of you more intently than you ever have before. What's the benefit to you? Why should you do such a thing? Well, that's what we want to talk about for the next few weeks. Are you in Isaiah chapter 55? We're going to break this passage up into two parts this morning. We'll do part of it this week. We'll do part of it next week. And then I have a plan for you as we get to January 13th as well. But let's read today verses 1 through 7 
and see why it is that we want to know God's story. Come, verse 1 says, everyone who is thirsty, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without price, without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the people and a leader and commander for the peoples, but behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not you know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. God is speaking of a wonderful plan that he has for his people. And it starts with the concept in verse 1 that he has a treasure for everyone. In fact, he has that which will slake your thirst, that which will satisfy your hunger. God has something for you existentially that you need. Now, when God speaks of food and he speaks of drink, he's not speaking literally of food. He's not speaking literally of drink. He's speaking of the thirst and the hunger that resides deep in our souls. The desire for some type of satisfaction in this life that we are all after, some, some type of fulfillment that each one of us wants to have in our life. He's saying that I have this for you. I have wine and milk and food, things that will satisfy the hunger in your soul. And here's the best part, it's free. People will do a lot of things for free stuff, won't they? I, I survived in college on free stuff. I joined more clubs for free pizza than I even want to talk about. People will do a lot for free. You hear free and people come running. God has a free treasure for everyone. And that free treasure, he's, he's advertising to us as that which will satisfy the deepest longings of our spirits and our hearts. But after God makes this offer of this free satisfaction, he asks a question. Look at verse 2. He says, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? This is a huge question in the scriptures. This is a theme over and over again that we, we would be remiss not to, not to stop on for just a minute. Last year or the year before, we spent uh, eight weeks in the book of Ecclesiastes as the writer talked to us all about the things that he pursued in his life when he was young and now he's old and all of those things that he pursued didn't bring him that sense of soul satisfaction that he was after. I look at our culture today and we are a culture amused with being amused. We want to be entertained. We want to move on to the next thing. We, we live in a culture where the term show hole has become a thing. You know what a show hole is? That's when you have sat night after night and watched episode after episode after episode of a new show, and then it's over. So you've, you've spent hours upon hours upon hours watching one show, but now you're in a show hole because you don't know what to watch next. And, and do you feel any better for being in a show hole? Does life get any better because you spent 42 hours in the last two weeks catching up on season 12 of 24? Does that really do anything? No, it does nothing for us. 
Yet we will pursue the next show as quickly as we can. Uh, we, we are a culture that loves to be amused. We love to be entertained. We love to wait for the next movie to come out, for, for the next uh, gadget to come out, for the next thing to amuse us and entertain us. It's, it's just the nature of who we are as Americans. Th there's other things that we throw our lives behind, other, other ways that we spend our money on things that don't satisfy. Money itself is a huge one of these things. Heroes, people that, that, that we want to just idolize is another one of these things. Ideologies. You know, a, a, new, a new way of thinking, a, a new, new way of understanding the world, and, and we'll just throw ourselves behind that. And, of course, labors themselves. You know, one of the key things in Ecclesiastes is this king has built all of these amazing things in his life. And he says, you know what, I built all these things, and they're not going to last, and it doesn't seem worth it. So much of this life is unsatisfying. So much of this life is December the 26th. You know what I mean. So much of this world is looking for something to satisfy that deep soul hunger. And it just isn't coming. God's offering something for free. He even calls it in the King James the richest affair. He says, I have rich food for you. So what's the key to unlock this treasure that God has for us? What's the key to getting to this soul satisfaction? Well, Isaiah chapter 55 says the key is his word. More specifically, the key to unlocking the treasure that God has for us is listening to his word, listening diligently to what God has said, purposeful listening to the very words of the one who has created us. Somewhere in the back of my mind, I'm hearing the words of Jesus. Jesus, who was sent to this earth on the most important mission that anybody ever undertook. And the enemy of our souls came to him while Jesus was trying to get his spirit and his mind in the right place to do all that God had for him to do. And started trying to tempt him with food that does not satisfy Try, try, to, try to tempt him with, with riches and, 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 and power and even food itself to, to try to get Jesus off track. And Jesus said to the enemy during his temptation, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The satisfaction that our souls is after will never, ever, ever, ever be filled by the things this world has to offer and our lack of satisfying nourishment in this life is based in not knowing who God is and what he has said. He's our creator, and he's placed something in our hearts that long for him and his word and his plan, and nothing else can satisfy that place in our souls. I have to be honest with you, growing up in church, I did not believe that. I thought that was just a thing that Christians said. Oh, yes, I live on the word of God. I eat it up, and it satisfies my soul. I thought that was hooey. I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. I, even people that I believe to be, you know, true spiritual people would say things like that, and I'd think, I, I don't know. I read the Bible, and I'm like, yeah, those are good words. It's important. Yeah, I, I like it. But as you get a little bit older in life, and life keeps coming at you in waves, Boy, there is power and there is strength and there is nourishment in what God has spoken to humanity. 
He has given us a treasure and a gift, something that will satisfy, and it's free. And many times because it's free, we despise it and disdain it. Because it's accessible, we don't think much about it. I met a man recently, uh, just about two, three months ago, and, and he, I, I didn't really know where he was coming from, and he was only in town for a little while, and, and he stopped and he told me about his battle with cancer. And he told me, you know, how aggressive the cancer was that he had and, and just what a struggle he had had. And then he said something that was unbelievable to me. And, and, and he said, I, I, I want to tell you, though, he said, I almost thank God for what happened to me because it drove me closer to him and his word than I've ever been. And I'm in a place now that's better than I've ever had in my entire life. And I thought, well, that'll, that'll preach. That's pretty good. That, that, that being driven to the word of God as a source of his sustenance during the darkest night of his soul proved to be the greatest thing that ever happened to him. It's not my story, it's his. God has food and drink for us. He has something to give to us if we will only receive it. This life is a marathon, it's not a sprint. And there are things that you can do for a little while that feel good and feel satisfying. But in the end... You need water, pure water, to survive that marathon. And you better get some protein in you because your carb loading's not going to get it done. It's not going to get it done. We are a culture of carb loaders looking for one more big bowl of pasta to get us over the next 10 minutes. But God has something that's rich and satisfying, full of protein muscle building, strength building, if we'll only take it. He, he doubles down on this claim. He then says, uh, bend your ear, incline your ear towards me. Just for fun, incline your ear towards me right now. I'll incline mine towards you. <laughs> Do you ever have that one kid who's always trying to hear what the adults are saying? That's inclining your ear. You, you, have, you have this deep-seated desire to know what's going on. God says if you want to get a full helping, a full serving, a satisfying portion in this life, you need to want to know what God's all about. You want to know the deepest things of his word. You want to understand this thing and his plan and what he has done. That is going to be, it says life. Look down, it says life for your soul. It's going to be life for your soul if you'll incline your ear towards the Lord. So, so not only is his word, it, it, does God have a treasure for each one of us, and not only is his word the key to unlocking that treasure, but we learn that he has a plan. If you look down at Isaiah chapter 55, all of a sudden God starts talking about making a covenant with people and a covenant through David. Where have you heard that before? What, what, where have you been told about this covenant with David by which God was going to make an everlasting covenant with us? Oh, just the last four weeks, right? In the coming of Jesus, we see God's plan that the son of David will come, the, the one who will be a forever king, who will rule and reign, who, who will make salvation available to us. Here we are in Isaiah chapter 55, hundreds of years before Jesus even comes, and God is saying, I'm going to make a covenant with humanity. Interested? 
interested in life for your soul? Are you interested in what I'm doing and the salvation that I want to offer you? It's going to come through the Son of David. Here it is right here in 55. See, when we dive into the Word of God, not only do we find satisfaction for our souls day to day, hour to hour, but in placing ourselves within the overall plan of what God is doing in this world, there is strength and there is power and there is a centering that happens in our lives because His Word has His plan. And it's good to be in on God's plan Peter says the angels listen intently and look into God's plan for humanity. We can look into God's plan and say, you know what, there's a lot going on in my life. There's some yuck, there's some good, there's some bad, there's some awful. There's a lot going on in my life, but overall, when I think about who God is and what he has done and what he is doing and what he is going to do, I have peace and security that I'm right where I need to be in God's plan. There's power in that. There's power in knowing we are his children, that we're a child of God, and that we're within this covenant that he talks about. And if I had time, I'd talk more about these verses where he says to his people, the Jewish people, a nation will come to you that you don't know, and, and, and they don't know you. I wonder who that is. That's you. That's me. That's the church universal. That's God's kingdom. That's the Gentiles. That's the people who through this descendant of David, God is going to bring a nation that they do not know into the fold of God's people. Isn't it interesting how here we are in Isaiah 55, hundreds of years before Christ, talking about listening intently to the word of God and letting it be satisfaction for our souls, and God's like, oh, by the way, let me throw in some things about the eternal salvation of humanity. Let, let me just show you the unity in my plan. It's powerful, and it's effective for you. And, and just so you'll know that it's me, I'll just sort of spell it out for you hundreds of years in advance, long before the Gentiles ever come into the fold of my people. The last thing the Lord says here in chapter 55 of Isaiah is verse 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. The last point today and the last thing I want you to think about is your why for studying this word is not just that it can be a treasure for your soul, not only that your soul can live, not only that you have the benefit of placing yourself within God's eternal plan, but to remember that when you do that, his plan changes ours. His plan changes our plans. His, his plan makes us look at our ways and go, oh, not so great. His plan, his word, makes us look at our own thought processes and go, boy, I ain't so brilliant. My ways, my plans, my thoughts, not so great. Not so inspired, not so brilliant. God's word is inspired. God's plan is great. God's plan is brilliant. What, what I'm doing today and, and what I call normal is not the best for me. This is the best for me. A new diet means a new life. It means a change. It means something different's going to happen in us. You are not going to throw yourself into reading this word and be someone who is unchanged. 
In fact, we're going to study next week that when we throw ourselves into this word and the rest of Isaiah 55, that God's word will not return void. I can't preach next week's sermon. we got to go eventually. But I want to tell you, God's word will not return void. It's going to have an effect. It's going to make you question your ways. It's going to make you question your thought processes. It's going to make you want to run to God and say, God, change me. There's power in that, and God will use that. A few years ago, my wife told me that we were no longer eating white flour. That's exactly how it happened. She told me that we were no longer eating white flour. For five or six years now, we have been baking all whole grain, whole wheat bread at home by hand. Please do not buy me a bread maker because I know the way you guys, oh, he's thinking if I am, I'll buy him a bread maker. He's the pastor. I love him. Anyhow, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. There's something about kneading dough that's good for stress. Anyhow. <laughs> I want to tell you, we, I, I mean, we didn't, even, we didn't even cut that bread with flour. For you bread makers, no white flour to cut that whole grain, whole wheat bread. It was vicious. It was terrible. Number one, we didn't know what we were doing. Number two, white flour tastes good. <laughs> so we began to bake this bread, and, and we tried different recipes. We got better at it. We got better at it. We got better at it. And at first, I, I didn't like the taste. I have to be honest. It was like, this is yucky. Give me, give me some white bread. I'll even take some of that wheat bread from, from the bread store, but do, do not give me this stuff. But we got better at the recipe. We, we got more proficient in baking the bread, and, and eventually it started to taste good to me. And th then it began to really taste great to me. I loved having a piece of toast in the morning. Yeah. The whole wheat, whole grain bread is good for you. I've done this for six years now. And once in a while when I'm out, when I'm with other people, when maybe we've had a week that we haven't been able to bake bread, we go and buy store-bought bread. And I eat that now, and I don't think it tastes bad. I don't think it's, it's yucky necessarily. It doesn't taste bad to me. But I eat that stuff, and about five minutes later, I'm hungry again. Because it wasn't full of whole grains. It wasn't full of all those beautiful things that God meant for us to have. Now, I am not preaching that you have to start making your own bread. Hear me. Making an analogy. This is not Pastor Matt trying to control your life. What I'm saying is, sometimes when you dive into the Word of God, it's hard to get started. It's not real palatable. You don't become proficient overnight. But eventually the nourishment begins to come through it. And eventually soul satisfaction begins to come through this word. And you won't want to go back to white bread. You won't want to go back to the easy stuff. This might change your ways and it might change your thoughts, but it will only change your ways and your thoughts for the better. You won't want to return. God's word is powerful and effective for our lives. All we have to do is listen diligently and incline our ear and our soul will begin to get satisfied. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? God, I understand this morning that this is a hard thing to sort of get our mind wrapped around. 
Lord, I know for me, it took many years for me to sort of buy into the idea that your word could satisfy the deepest longings of my heart. But Lord, you said it, and I believe it, and you have proved yourself over and over. Your word is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. Your word is the richest affair, that which nourishes and sustains us throughout our lives and gives life to our soul for eternity. I don't worship the Bible this morning. I worship Jesus. But I do thank you for the treasure of your word, the life that you have spoken to us, and what you want to do for each and every one of us through your word. Today in this place, if you have felt your heart stirred by what God has been speaking, and perhaps you're ready to say, Pastor Matt, I'm, I'm in a place where I have been pursuing things, maybe not evil things, maybe not sinful things, maybe, but stuff that just doesn't satisfy. And God's impressing upon my heart and my spirit today to come after him, to listen diligently, to incline my ear, to want to know all that he has said. If that's you this morning, we're just going to make this house a house of prayer for a few moments. And all I'm going to ask you to do is do what the Lord asks you to do. If you want to come and kneel at this altar and say, Lord, I need to confess, I've been trying to be satisfied in this life just through entertainment or money or experiences or something else, come and pray. Confess that to the Lord and ask him to put a desire in your spirit for that which satisfies. Maybe you just want to stand in your seat and lift holy hands to the Lord. Maybe you want to kneel where you're at. But I just encourage you, just for a few minutes, say, God, is there anything today that I'm spending money on and laboring towards that is going to leave me malnourished? Lord, touch my heart and convict me of that. Let me give it back to you. And then, Lord, place in my spirit a desire to incline my ear. That's our prayer this morning if God's speaking to you. So let's just make this a house of prayer. If you want to pray with an altar team member, they'll come up and pray with you. If you want to kneel, if you want to sit in your seat, if you want to stand. But let's just pray for a few minutes. We're nowhere near the noon hour. let's just allow the Lord to speak to our hearts and you speak back to him. Let's allow him to have his way in us.